Welcome to the Networking for the People podcast series. If you're looking for guidance on NFTs, you've come to the wrong place. But stick around anyway as we figure out what our friends are up to, why they're doing what they do, and how they ended up getting there in the first place. I'm Robert. Welcome to NFTP. Today, we welcome Matt, my undergrad mentor. When I first started studying engineering, Matt has long since left New York. Uh, and moved to Michigan to work at General Motors, where he is currently a battery systems engineer. He is an inventor, bunny dad, real dad, <laughs> automotive enthusiast, and I'm happy to welcome him to the show. Matt, welcome to NFTP. Thanks, Robert. Glad to be here. All right. So without any further ado, in your own words, who are you and what do you do now? So uh, I am currently a battery systems engineer. I'm actually pretty new to that position. I've for the last five years, I was in calibration. So that's a, a software fine-tuning job. So I started at GM doing a rotation program. Uh, and then I jumped into calibration for a hybrid program that's uh, called Microbass. It's only sold in China. From there, I transitioned to a different calibration role called Driveline Dynamics Management. And for both calibration roles, you are in vehicle, driving cars, changing software, making the car do what you want to. And uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty hands-on, very fun, very good for young engineers and new new to the industry because it's very exciting and you get to travel. But now I'm a battery systems engineer, and it is more on the analytical side. You uh, you have you own the the requirements for a battery pack for a certain car or program, and you just make sure that everyone is working towards the goal of meeting those requirements. So you have to talk to testing, you have to talk to the suppliers, you have to talk to the calibrators making sure that everyone can meet the same requirements by the time the program is ready to launch. So a lot of different components there. I wonder, since you're manning the cars, when we see commercials and it, say, and it says professional stunt driver, is that you also sitting in the car, uh, making sure the calibration system is working right or no? For the commercials, for the commercials I think it's rarely a calibrator. <laughs> for uh, some of the demos that you might see on YouTube or Instagram, those are very likely calibrators. Uh, a lot of those are actually, yeah, a lot of those are filmed at the Milford Proving Grounds, which is in Michigan. There's a test track, internal test track that's closed off to the public. So that's where we do a lot of the internal testing before we drive it on public roads. Um, a lot of those are calibrators. You just, you know, the calibrators are the first, pe basically the first people behind the wheel in a prototype. It's fun, but it's also very uh, uh, risky if you don't know what you're doing because, you know, the prototypes can just break. <laughs> uh, where the software is not very developed, you know, things go wrong instantly. There's usually a big red button on the dash. You just hit it and the car will shut down. Uh, but it's it's pretty safe. But like things can go wrong if you don't know what's happening. I'm happy to hear that you're at least in the weeds of it or were in the weeds of it. Uh, that yeah. sounds super cool. And it's so nice to have, as I understand, that's like the most hands-on you could be with getting your product tested in the most rapid environment. Yeah, it's the calibration is one of those jobs that um, when I first started at GM, I was like, wow, those they're rock stars. You know, they, basically whatever they decide the performance of the car in, you know, is, is what the customer is going to get. They're like the last people before the customer will get it. But so that's why, you know, I, I joined, I tried to join calibration as soon as possible because I thought it was just so cool. And the other reason was I, I really wanted to join the electrification group. Um, that was kind of the whole reason I saw GM in the first place was because I was originally hired as a battery electric energy systems engineer. 
and those, yeah. yeah, it's, and then, um, yeah, so I was originally, uh, I, I got the job through a different Cooper alum named Matthias. I didn't know him while I was at Cooper. He graduated before, way before. And he, he was like at a similar position and he was leaving GM to go to business school. And he reached out to Stanway, who was the head of mechanical engineering at Cooper at the time. And Stanway just sent out the job posting to everyone. And I applied and I got the job. And I, I actually hadn't considered working for an automotive company before. Uh, I'm not a car guy. I never did formula at Cooper. <laughs> but when I looked at the position, I was like, this is actually pretty interesting because it's a lot of simulation. It's a lot of controls. I was really into robotics at Cooper. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, controls. That's very cool. And then the more I looked at it, I was kind of, um, I was talking to the, you know, the hiring manager and he was telling me about their some, not all, but some of their potential, like, oh, we're working on these sorts of hybrids, these sorts of battery electric vehicles. I can't tell you the, the details until you're hired, but like, it was like very, I didn't know GM was working on those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then once I, you know, got the job offer, I was like, well, I have to, because this, there's a lot of growth here. GM is like not well known in 2015. GM was not well known for their electric vehicle program. They had one electric car, which was the Chevy Bolt, but they were working on all of these hybrids, potential hybrids. You know, they weren't approved yet, but that's what this group did. They uh, they just run simulations on things that could happen to see how uh, engineering feasible they are, and then a different group will run the cost calculations to see how mm -hmm. how much of a how much profit you can make. But this, you know, that team was running energy calculations to say, is this even like a good car, right? Can we mm -hmm. sell this and will people buy it? So that's what that team did. And I was like, wow, this is, this is nice. Like, because the, that team does, you know, hundreds of simulations on different cars and just say, what if, what if we made this? Would that be crazy? What if we sold it in China only? What if we sold it right. in South America, right? Those are different requirements for different vehicles. Mm -hmm. Different regulations, different fuel sources even available, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, if it's a hybrid, so the, the gas source could be different. You know, you have to account mm -hmm. for that. You have different gas uh, refining regulations in the US versus Europe, yeah. And so when I joined the group, it was, it was just like, I could tell that there was going to be explosive growth in electrification pretty soon. And I was right. And that's that's also why I've, I've been at GM for this entire time is just because Hi. there has been new programs, new groups opening up everywhere. And it's just, there's a lot of new, a lot of new content, a lot of room for upward mobility. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. I know some of the pioneering hybrid vehicles, I guess, of our time, I don't know the dates probably as well as you do, but you have the Prius, right? Uh, you have the Nissan Leaf, which I think people know less about. You have the Chevy Volt, like you mentioned, as the first mm -hmm. electric car that GM produced. And then maybe now kind of infamous, the Tesla Roadster. Looking back, I guess, before we look forward, GM is one of the largest and most established car manufacturers in the world. We have the Chevy, we have the Buick, we have GMC, and then Cadillac. Since you have joined and we were kind of given those hints, right, that you didn't exactly know, you were kind of pushing towards the electrical car space. My question would be the electric versus non-electric vehicles now. Since you are kind of immersed in electrical space, what's your involvement like with, you know, the non-electrical uh, vehicles? Like you said, the markets will heavily impact that, the fuel sources, but I guess what's your sentiment about it and do you have any other thoughts on that? Yes, I have a lot of thoughts. First, I do want to say, disclaimer, I do work for GM, but these, these are my own opinions, not GM's opinions. 
Uh, is on our site as well, but thank yeah. you for adding that. <laughs> there, there's a lot of overlap right now in the hybrid space. There's a lot of hybrids that are there's still room for in the market, not just in the U.S., probably in China, probably in other parts of the world that can't make the switch to fully electric vehicles like the U.S. is trying so hard mm -hmm. to do right now. Right. A lot of places don't have the infrastructure. That's right. That's fine. That's totally fine. Those places will still have gasoline-powered cars or hybrid cars for a while. GM is serving those markets. I think there's a lot of places in China GM sells cars where it's like, if it's a city, it's, they're trying to do like a tiny electric car. But if it's a rural area, they still might have a small gasoline car because people still need you know, to travel long distances. Mm -hmm. And in the US, it's the same. A lot of charging infrastructure is concentrated around cities. And if you have, say, a Tesla and or a, a Chevy Bolt and you know, you you have a fairly limited range for a road trip. That's fine. You can just you can deal with it in in short distances in a city. There's still room in the market for gasoline powered and hybrid powered cars in in what I see is like the near future, right? But that doesn't mean there isn't room for massive massive electric car market share because I think Tesla proved that people do want electric cars and they're willing to not take on, take them on long road trips or take them on long road trips and be willing to wait for charging times. That's mm -hmm. fine. And then the charging infrastructure is just getting better and better every day. GM and other automakers are starting to invest in the charging networks, which they didn't do before, right? Only Tesla had their own. But now, and now a lot of automakers are saying, you know, if we want people to buy our electric cars, we're going to have to invest in the infrastructure too. So they are. I know that GM, I think, set a goal for like all electric sales by 2030. That still means that there's, you know, eight years of gasoline powered cars that are still going to be sold, you know, between right. now and then. That's still a lot of cars and every automaker, if they have a similar goal, is still going to be doing that, except for Tesla. That's still a lot of gasoline cars and those cars are, you know, 10 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so even though there are aggressive goals to build electric cars, there will still be room in the market for you know people who live in more remote areas they're still going to have gasoline powered cars they can right. buy in 2029 or something right uh the transition has been i'd say advertised as being like wow it's going to happen like overnight and suddenly <laughs> everyone's going to be driving electric where in they're, reality yeah. <laughs> it's going to be so slow you don't even realize it. it's going to be so slow right. you're just going to be like oh the truck that i can buy at the chevy dealership is actually going to be a hybrid or a battery electric or just a normal gas one like you would just have those options one day and it won't you won't realize it oh this is normal now and then like in another 10 years it'll just be the hybrid and electric options and that'll be normal and right. then you know in another five or ten years it'll be only the electric one and at that point electric cars have been around for so long it's not unusual i think right. everyone everyone expects the electric car revolution is going to be like bam it's just going to happen it's not it's going to be pretty <laughs> slow it's going to be slow and like people will actually not realize how how quick or they get used to it they're just gonna be like oh, okay it's pretty normal for cars to be electric that's kind of just how it'll be um it's not going to be an overnight revolution mm -hmm. yeah right i think we see so much marketing thrown at us not only of course from gm but and not only of course from the car industry but the environmental industry the energy sector um, so much materials thrown at us, the, pol the politics of it all that's intertwined uh, every which way you turn. So whether it's, you know, our market here or uh, markets abroad relative to us, 
I think there's going to be exactly like you said, that gradual shift that we won't pay attention to. But it's that same thing of like, if you take two steps forward, one step back every day, it seems very slow. But if you do that math over a year, over five, 10 years, you've made substantial progress. So I do want to take a slight step back from technical and I appreciate you walking through, I guess, your perspective and thoughts on the markets um, and how you kind of see that uh, gradual change uh, shifting. I want to touch back on something I introduced early, which is that point of mentorship. Do you take on any mentorship roles now, either at work or in different you know, parts of your community and whatnot you make time for and or anything you're a part of? Yeah, I, I do remember being your mentor, but I don't I don't remember anything we talked about. I don't remember anything either. <laughs> uh, it's been a while. Yeah, it's, it's been a it was while. probably <laughs> just like what classes you should take next semester or something. Right. right. Uh, yeah, at GM, I had one mentor and I did mentor, I think, one or two people. And I kind of regret not having more mentors at GM because there's actually a streamlined process. You can like sign up for like what kind of mentor you, you want and then you get matched. Um, and there's like no limit, right? You can just, ha you can have multiple mentors at the same time. And I've only ever signed up for one mentor and I, I need to go back and like get more. Um, <laughs> Aren't you because, glad? <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad um, because it's like, I think when you're first starting at your job, you don't realize, you don't know what your career path should be, right? Especially for me, I told you I'm not a car guy and I suddenly joined a car company. I do know, I did know at the time, I wanted to work on electric cars that's pretty cool. And I wanted to probably stay more in, you know, the, I guess, what's called product development. There's like different parts of GM. There's product development, there's manufacturing, there's sales, there's logistics, supply chain, blah, blah, blah. Product development is like what people think about when they think about designing, making cars, right? It's, it's the very new stuff. It's stuff that mm -hmm. the public won't see for, you know, years because it's like behind the, behind the scenes. And so I didn't really know about all that. And I kind of wish I had like a mentor to say, you know, this is what product development means. Mm -hmm. uh, but within product development, there's so many different areas, right? Obviously, there's gasoline versus diesel versus electric, right? And But even within the electric, electric side, I actually hadn't worked on batteries for a while. Like I'm, I'm a battery <laughs> systems engineer, but I didn't, I worked on the propulsion side, like the motor software for most of my calibration time. All I'm, all I'm and, hearing is that you forgot your chemistry and you forgot how lithium ion yeah, batteries uh, work. <laughs> yeah, I had to relearn. I got to relearn how lithium <laughs> works. So so I wish I had a mentor who was more maybe more career focused to say, okay, well, even if you don't know what you want to do, what kinds of things can you like maybe take a class to see if you really find this interesting? Or if, if the goal is just to get leadership positions, you know, what kind of extracurriculars might you have to do mm, right. to get leadership positions? And those are things that mentors, you know, would just, okay, that's what you have to do. Like, okay, volunteer for X assignment or, you know, tell your manager you want this leadership position and maybe they'll guide you towards that, um, that kind of thing. And it's something that maybe a lot of new, new engineers right out of college don't do even if they have the, the resources like I did, because they're just not sure. They're like, maybe I'll just figure it out by myself. But then like three years pass and you still haven't figured it out. Uh, it's definitely hard to ask for help, especially when it comes to something like mentor mentoring. Um, it doesn't have to be a career focused mentor. It could right. be a work-life balance mentor or just how do I get along better with my coworkers mentor or, <laughs> uh, 
yeah, like things like you know, you can you the, can the small that. things, yeah, yeah the, the small, small things that, that are really helpful. Those ones add up, yeah, yeah. It's it's like really important to have mentors in your career, and it doesn't even have to be somewhere a mentor that like works in the same company. You could have a mentor that was just I started a job at one company, I moved to company B, but like I had a manager at company A that I really liked, and I really want their career advice for like just you know work life. Right. Um, I think in in college we have mentors that just basically say, "Oh, this class is good. This class is bad. These professors are good. This this degree is good. This degree is bad." Like, right, right. yeah, <laughs> which is like really important. It's kind of like, oh yeah, I got the inside track on like, I can avoid taking a Minchev class if I don't don't have to, you know. <laughs> and it, in in uh, I guess in your career, it's very similar. You want to start networking just to get an idea of like what you want to do with your life, even if that is not a super career focused. You should, you know, jump from this job to this job, like this job to this job. You do want a mentor to sort of give you an idea of what the future holds because you need right. like some kind of goal. If you don't have Someone a goal, telling you about their experience just to yeah, relate to it, right? Exactly. If you don't have some kind of goal. You know, you could just end up being in the same job for too long, right? When maybe you maybe you should have jumped to a new position that had leadership opportunities, or maybe you should have jumped uh, to a different company where you, there was more growth, right? And you just didn't know that those were options because you never talked to anyone. So that's right. why mentor mentoring is definitely important. I'm glad you asked this question, and I probably have to sign up for a mentor once we're done. <laughs> and I have to follow up with mine. She works in the. Finance marketing role very different from my engineer from our engineering background yeah, from our go. product development experience. Um, so she'll explain her projects to me, and I have no idea. You know, those things go right right over my head. I follow up. I kind of try to do my research, um, but that's the point, right? You, you, it's good to hear about similar paths. There's the same project management approach that you could use, no matter what type of product development, logistics, finance office you're working in. Uh, the flow stays the same. It's just you know the the tangibles that may may differ. I want to point to one thing you said in your explanation of mentor, and maybe this is something that a previous mentor alluded to you about either shifting jobs, shifting technicalities or specialties. Since you have been in kind of the technical side of your company now for the last seven years or so, of course, in these different roles that you described, do you expect to shift away from that engineering side anytime soon or in the future to more of the management side, or do you kind of want to be that Subject matter expert in you know now battery systems engineering as you know the place you're starting it now. It's a good question. I I have thought about management. I think as far as like as far as like a a people leader, definitely not. <laughs> but there is you have, your, you have your own people to lead at home. The little ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got the little one. But there is a different like technical management. Um, I, I don't want to exactly say it's project management, but that's mm -hmm. I guess the closest it could be, right? You could, uh, as a project manager, you are more managing the the flow of work, but not the people, right? It is right. it is more of a management job, but you are managing work that needs to get done, and you have to you know convince people to fall into the right spots to complete them all at the same time, or at least to meet your deadline, right? Um, <laughs> And I think that's a little bit less technical than what I've been doing previously, and it's but it's still more technical than say being a manager and uh, mm -hmm. you know doing the hiring and, and firing and that kind of thing. 
it's it's uh, the the job I have now. Battery systems is close, but it's not exactly project management. But I am moving, I guess, a little bit more in that direction.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and、uh, not saying this will happen, but、uh, project management is a skill that can、uh, span different jobs in different industries. So if I ever decide to leave GM, it's a very applicable position. And to that point of battery systems engineering, kind of being close to a project management type of role. Um, I very kind of clearly see this as being, you know, for battery systems, a system is you're at the crossroads of the chemistry that you may or may not enjoy,、um, the modeling that you alluded to earlier,、uh, and then that controls、uh, and robotics that you enjoyed even back in college and started through your early career at GM. So you do have this multidisciplinary approach requiring different different subject matter experts, right? Different technical leaders, and then you help that、uh, workflow together. In terms of your role now, even though it is more of that、um, uh, that project manager approach and less of that controls and automation that you started on in those, you know, on on the test track, to what extent do battery systems engineers and maybe you know the, your answer may change as you grow in this role. To what extent are you finding yourself hands on now,、uh, whether it's in the product development labs or on the manufacturing floor? Right, the the systems job is definitely not as hands-on as calibration. I guess the 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 job is more about meetings and <laughs> making sure that other people who are the hands-on testers get the data, or they manage to.、Uh, if they can't collect the data themselves, they might be able to find a technician or someone who can collect the data at a different time. So it's it's much more hands-off than than、uh, my previous job. I think one of my coworkers gave an example to say, like, they they needed to collect some data.、Um, they could have done it in the test cell, just you know, the motors running、mm-hmm. with the batteries alone, or they could have gotten it in a vehicle. It's usually faster if a calibrator can like just jump in a vehicle and get data first, because the test cells require like a very specific sign out sheet, and they usually <laughs> they usually like to run for like days at a time because you you collect a lot more data that way. Mm-hmm. The calibration way. If you if you have an available vehicle, you can just jump in and start at your computer, plug the computer into the car, and go. So, as a systems engineer, you don't have to be the one jumping into the car. But because I have the calibration experience and I have、uh, my connections, I guess in the calibration community, I can、mm-hmm. just jump in a car and get the data myself.、Um, but it's it's not required. Usually, there's like the I guess the more formal testing process to go through, say the the bench to. To go test separately,、right. so it is. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot more hands off, but you still have that option, depending on what your test requirements are. Saying some battery data of like doing wa-、uh, wide open throttles、uh, all the way <laughs> until the battery overheats. Right, I, I can just do that in the car, or I can ask one of my friends, "Hey, do you have this vehicle?" It reminds me. It's like kind of like thinking of Fast and Furious, which. I keep both of them my favorite movies, but I definitely enjoy the movies. It's like playing the role of Tej versus playing the role of Roman. So like Ludacris versus Taj Gibson. Tej is on the machine side or like the software side, where he programs the car, gets in it with a laptop, and configures it so that you can really blow, you know, blow the hood off the car and kind of accelerate past the legal limits, probably.、Uh, and then you have Roman who just jumps in the car and gets right on the track and is like, "All right, let's see, let's see if you can burn the tires out." So it's kind of, it's actually really cool to. Hear your experience and how you describe it in different ways, being hands-on in those different ways. So I see we're both kind of leaning in right now.、Uh, I feel that we should both lean back 
uh, and, oh. talk about, <laughs> and talk about uh, a little bit of the work-life balance that hopefully comes up in frequent conversations, whether we're working from home, whether we're working on the site. And it should be a topic of conversation, uh, especially for those looking in new roles or changing, whether it's in a rotation program, whether it's not. How has your work-life balance improved or not improved uh, as you have had to balance these different roles, both at work and with your growing family, of course? It's It's been a lot. Obviously, as you mentioned before, I had a, a daughter born last December. It's been almost, oh, three days until one year. <laughs> yeah. So it's been quite a whirlwind of, of excitement at the, at the Lee household. I mean, one of the reasons I did want to switch to battery systems was because it was a more work from home friendly job. Uh, Calibration's great. I, I will forever love it, but it is very demanding to go into the office because a lot of your test materials are the cars themselves. Mm -hmm. And there is a point where you can drive the cars home and test them, you know, just on your commute. But for a large part of the program, the software is not ready for that. So you have to test it at the office on the right. test tracks. Makes sense just from a safety perspective too. <laughs> right, exactly. It has, it has to go through a lot of a lot of testing before it becomes what, what GM calls DDL ready. There's different safety levels. And uh, the last safety level is you can sell it to a customer. The lowest safety level is you can only drive it on the tracks, right? And mm -hmm. there's like a couple in between. Until it gets to like about halfway, you can only drive it on the tracks and it only has to be a qualified person. So you can't just ask another random engineer to get the data for you. You know, mm -hmm. you have to be qualified to drive a specific car. Um, and so the battery systems job is not like that because it's more analytical. It has a lot more work from home flexibility. And one of the few things that good, the good things that came from COVID was work from home life has kind of been normalized. Uh, even though, you know, there's core, core meeting days, I think that GM has people go into the office and it's definitely easier to get work done at the office but it's not unusual to say hey like I'm feeling a little sick I'm just gonna not come in and no one will ever question you they're not gonna say oh mm -hmm. I bet they're I bet they're at home just playing video games you know <laughs> uh but they're just it's it's completely normal and being a parent now it's like oh my kid you know my kid can't go to daycare because daycare shut down like that's right a normal, I think COVID made that normal and parents everywhere, not just a GM, everywhere are finding, wow, this is like kind of a normal thing. I can take time, you know, if my, if my kid's sick or if the daycare closes, I, this is a normal thing. I can just stay home and work or I can like, you know, find a, find a balance that doesn't involve me just taking a vacation day, right? There's mm -hmm. a lot of flexibility that uh, is now sort of normalized. And I think that really, really helps working families deal. I don't know. I honestly don't know how anyone would have a kid before like work from home became normalized. <laughs> it's just so much, so much, so many things can go wrong. And you, you know, you just have to say, oh, I'm taking a vacation day. That's, I only have so many vacation days. It's, but now it's kind of normal to say, oh, well, daycare is closed. I'm going to stay at home. No one's going to say, I don't believe you. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, um, you take the parental leave, right? So they know <laughs> yeah. you're, you're valid some at some point or not. <laughs> I really like that uh, GM especially is a pretty family-friendly, family-oriented company. They understand that people have obligations that are not work. They understand that work is not your entire life, that your family is more important. Um, oh, I do want to throw out another quick example from when <laughs> I was a calibrator. So obviously before I had a kid, 
I had a last minute invitation to go to a wedding with my girlfriend, who is now my wife, Connie. And it was one of her college friends. And it was a, we had one month of notice to say, oh, by the way, I'm getting married. It's in New Delhi. <laughs> you can come. That'd be great. And we were, we had already budgeted our vacation for the year. And we're right. just like, like, can we do this? Like, is it possible? <laughs> All right. And I think we had three days of vacation left. Oh my God. Like, to fly from I, Michigan to New Delhi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we're just like, oh man, can we make this work? And I think, I remember like I had a, um, some new test cell was going to be up and running. And I was actually like one of the most qualified people to get that running at the time. And I was like really concerned. I was talking with my lead. I'm just like, oh, I got this invitation. It's really last minute, um, but I mean, it's going to interfere with the test schedule. And Mike Miller, who was my lead, said, gave me some of the best advice. Roughly, roughly in these words, he said, yeah. you know, if you have vacation days, take them. You can always plan around trainings or, or test schedules by teaching someone else. You can always just delay it for a week. If your name is not on the side of the building, you should be able to take time off and not worry about it. You're not that important. You can always plan for the time you're gone. Right. Right. And I, I've always remembered that the name on the side of the building thing, right? Like, <laughs> you're aggressive, not aggressive, but I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot of the times this was like, you know, right. My, my first calibration job, a lot of the times you th think your work is really important and it is, it is very important, but it's not so important that you can't take time off for yourself. Yeah. Right. Young engineers and even engineers that are like, a little bit into their career like me they say oh work is important if i don't get this work done then everything's going to fall apart that's not true at all <laughs> it's really easy to say like wow i'm the linchpin that holds this company together but it's very rare that that's the case right if if that's actually true you should be paid like so much money that it doesn't matter <laughs> it's it's important to just say okay my work is important but it's okay for me to take some time. I can prepare for taking vacation, right? And I, I just took a bunch of family leave because I had, I had my daughter. That's a lot of time off that my team was able to deal with. And you know what? In the calibration group, I think like five people on my team had kids, and so they've had to, they've had to deal with a lot of people taking time off. And you know what? They made it work. They made it work pretty easily, actually, because they have good systems in place. They know who is the backup, who is the next point of contact. It's not that hard to plan if you have, you know, advanced notification. Don't right. assume that you can't take time off work just because work is important. Work is always going to be there when you get back. Time, take some time for yourself. That's good advice, and that's really good feedback. And it's nice to hear that from whether it's a mentor, whether it's just someone that's been working there for a long, let's say longer time than you have, uh, those people are generally seem to be wiser than us. <laughs> yeah. So I do want to touch on one last thing. And I don't think I know for sure where you came from before Cooper, but I know it wasn't Michigan. Uh, it wasn't the Detroit area. I have passed through Detroit one time, driving down from Toronto, went to uh, the art museum. It was lovely. I don't know if that's something that you found <laughs> to love about Detroit, uh, but in your time there, since you've been there now, um, what have you learned to love about it? What's your favorite thing to do in the area? Yeah, um, I really like Michigan and Detroit. It's it's surprising because, you know, I, I yeah, I'm from New Jersey originally, 
Okay, that's I what have, I thought. I didn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't have any family out in the Midwest, uh, and so when I moved here, I was kind of like a little hesitant. I mean, GM was the best job offer I got at college, so I was like, no question, I'm going to move out here. But also, I was like, I've never been and lived in the Midwest before. But honestly, I love it. It's um, it's grown a lot. Detroit has a lot of great. Um, it's only about 15 downtown Detroit's only about 15 minutes from my house. I live like in a suburb a little bit outside. And uh, so it's really easy for us to drive down there. There's a lot of, obviously the food in New York is pretty hard to beat, but <laughs> Michigan has, I think, developed quite, quite a bit since, even since I just moved there. Um, mm -hmm. this is, this is a really great fact. When I moved there, there wasn't a single good bubble tea place. And now <laughs> There's so many, they all just popped up like right before COVID <laughs> happened. They're just like, this is the time Asian food is now going to be good in Michigan <laughs> and bubble tea came with it. And it's just, it's awesome. So the That's food scene cool. has, yeah, the food scene has in improved quite a bit since I've been here. Um, I, the other thing about Michigan that I love is that there's a lot of outdoor space, mm. big, big outdoor space. Um, if you drive, obviously Southeast Michigan is very uh, urban and suburban, but if you drive like mm. a little bit, Outside of the Detroit area, you get tons of metro parks, tons of huge, huge lakes, not just the Great Lakes, there's smaller lakes. And if you're a boater, that's fantastic. I don't own a boat myself, but I have some <laughs> who own boats. That's very popular. There's a lot of uh, obviously snow things to do. Uh, like if you own a snowmobile and you live up north, that's fantastic. There's a lot <laughs> of there's a lot of good hiking. That's, that's something that we did a lot, uh, a lot of just big outdoor spaces that are very, very short drive from the metro areas. And obviously you get those, you know, on the East Coast, but they're just not as big. Yes, that's true. <laughs> you have to get on a plane to Michigan, Minnesota, uh, to the Midwest, like you said, just to appreciate some of those things. Okay, well, Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Um, thank you for giving me and our listeners a thought process as you work through the early stages of your career through exploring Michigan and through exploring those different roles within GM. Look forward to hearing and seeing about your next steps. And thank you for uh, being on NFCP. Thanks, Robert. Glad to talk. Thanks to all our listeners. Please visit our website at nftpcast.com. Complete the Google form on our website to stay in touch. Submit future topics and industries for us to cover, recover, and discover. Tune in for the next episode and see you next time. Hi, this is Tyler, the sound engineer with the Networking for the People podcast. If you like today's episode and the music we played, check us out on Facebook and Instagram and at nftpcast.com. Thanks so much and have a great day.